0: Welcome to Confessions of an Obese Child. This is a podcast that deals with early childhood trauma, disordered eating, binge eating, and more. We discuss self-loathing, triggering to binge eating, and then many post-weight loss topics like survivor's guilt, the body positive movement, and more. And we interview formerly overweight children as well. So please join us for another episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. I keep saying that I'm going to fix that abrupt beginning, but months later, I still have not. Welcome to Confessions of an Obese Child. Sometimes, as you know, I simulcast this over at The Awakened Man if I feel that it's a topic that is opportune to both. Today, we're going to talk about getting older and preparing for the death of a parent, wah, wah. my God, this is so depressing. Well, look, I am close to being forty-seven. My father, who I've talked about quite a bit, if you go to the early episodes, so the first twenty episodes of Confessions are about vignettes from my childhood when I was a fat kid and how I handled the bullying or the abuse, and I talk about my father uh, and my mother quite a bit in those episodes, and I do my really bad Mexican accent when I'm impersonating both of them. But my father passed away about 12 years ago. He had an aneurysm where he died suddenly when he was at a taqueria before he went to work. He was retired at that point. And look, if you don't want to go back to those early episodes, my father was a a famous cancer doctor, very famous. Now, you wouldn't know him on the streets, but in the world of pathology and oncology, he is one of the most renowned cancer doctors, head and neck especially, in the world, in the 20th century. He wrote 350 articles, 23 books. He was the head of the, the American Pathological Society, the South American Pathological Society, and the European Pathological Society throughout his lifetime, even though he wasn't from Europe or South America. He was a legend. And he had retired at that point but he still loved his job so much that he would go to work quite a bit you know he he would stop at the taqueria and eat his tacos because he he had a humble beginning if you go to my episode of my father i think it's called the cancer doctor during episode 10. so he always was very kind to the the working and poor class his father used to make highways build highways back in mexico and uh, so he would always like to He was just he was an authentic man. And it was he went to his tacos and then boom, his aorta ruptured and he bled out and uh, he eventually died two weeks later. But I was fortunate because if you if you go to those early episodes I talk about, my father was an inveterate alcoholic. He was a high functioning alcoholic and it was truly Jekyll and Hyde. You didn't know what you were going to get with him growing up. He, it's, he some days he was very friendly. He'd be the the soccer coach for me, and he taught me history and geography and art and opera, and and he would take me to the hospital all the time because he wanted me to be a cancer doctor as well, and he was very pleasant with me. And then other times when he was drinking, and look, he was always drinking. He was one of these guys that was a highly functional alcoholic. And we talk about in one of the episodes why he probably turned the alcohol. His mother, my grandmother, left him... And my grandfather on his third birthday. So when he turned three, his mom, who I think was just tired of my grandfather's alcoholism. okay This is like a running theme in like Ireland and Mexico. Uh, My grandfather was just a horrible alcoholic. So my my grandmother, when my father turned three, and he was the middle child of three sons. On his third birthday, she's like, I'm out. She left. Never to come back. Imagine how traumatic that is for a three-year-old. My mom left on my third birthday. So, that combined with just the kind of milieu of alcoholism and Mexican culture, and the, during that time, he was a, drink, a drinker. And he, we would go in his car and find alcohol everywhere. And, and you know, depending on how much he drank, he could be a fun drunk, and, but lots of times he was a mean drunk. So, he would come home sometimes, just be a horrible nightmare, cussing, yelling, saying horrible things to me about me, to me about my mom, to me about my older brother. And um, yeah, it was tough. So, you just didn't know what, what you were going to get from him right? And a lot of you who come from alcoholic parents or ragers would, would understand that. And of course the irony is my, I ended up marrying a woman who was a rager, who was just like my father. Now she didn't drink, but again, I, I think it's like had a dysfunctional childhood, meet your borderline wife. That's how it kind of works. Cause I think that's how, that, that's what you think is normal growing up, right? If you think dysfunction is normal when you when you see that the first modeling of a relationship is your parents so if your parents have a dysfunctional relationship in any way shape or form part of you knows it's not healthy but part of you thinks, so i goes this is normal so is it really surprising that later on you're attracted to men and women who are like one of your parents i don't think so i think that is probably not too surprising but That being said, much of my childhood, I resented and hated him. You know, it was typical. I'm a fat 280-pound kid at age 13, 14. You don't want to take accountability. You just want to blame everybody else. I blame my father. I blame my mother. My mother was uh just very uh distant aloof non-nurturing and this is why i turned to food at a very young age because I, I i had the uh, uncertainty and, and tumultuous i should say tumult is a proper noun the tumult of my father up and down up and down and then i had no nurturing from my mom who was just probably just trying to deal with my father's drinking so i turned to food right for nurturance and some of you turned to other things instead of food i was 5 so i turned to food and that's how i got really really fat as i got older in my 20s and as you get older, you know you have more wisdom. I, I understood why my father was the way he was. And we had words near the end of his life where I, 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 I apologized for being a D to him when I went, whenever I was a D. And certainly in my adulthood, I wasn't a D to him. But at that point, we, you know, we got along very well. It was only in that kind of, you know, the rebellion of, of adolescence. And look, compared to a lot of teenage kids i was a very good kid partly because i was fat through most of it so i couldn't or i I wouldn't i couldn't say i couldn't i wouldn't go to parties if you ever watch 16 candles you know uh uh, what's his name Um, anthony michael hall who's the brain the boy who crushes on molly ringwald and then he's got john cusack and the other nerd guy and they you know they try to break into the party i was like one of those guys i was like i wouldn't even go to these parties but I was a good kid because I didn't drink. Of course, I didn't do drugs because I was a nerd. All I did was read encyclopedias and play Star, Star Trek movies and just play Risk all day with my other nerdy friends. So I was a good teenager. But later, uh, a few years before he died, you know, we sat down. I remember being at the an airport, and I just said, "Dad, I know you. I know you did the best you can. You came with your own intergenerational trauma, and you did the best you can. I just want you know that I'm. I'm sorry if I said anything that hurt you, and you were a good father, and I appreciate everything you done for me, and, and, and I love you very much." And he he was crying, and you know, we had these great words, and he died later on. You know, not probably a year after that, and I was glad I had that closure because a lot of people don't have closure with their parents when they when. You just don't know when the Grim Reaper is going to come, right? And so you have a lot of guilt when your parents die because you're like, I never had those words. So my father died, and now my mother and uh, my brother, they live in Houston. So they're not too, too far from where I live. But my mother's 81. She's in relatively good health. She doesn't have any signs of dementia. Her mind is pretty sharp, but she is overweight. She goes to the doctor. The doctor says she has high blood pressure, but let's face it. She's 81. She's not going to be around, you know, the old saying, right? You don't, why don't you see a lot of 90 year old fat people? Because they're dead, right? You don't, most of the 90 year olds you see are skinny. You got to lower your caloric intake as you get older. So my mom's not going to be on this planet much longer. And so I try to spend as much time as I can with her during COVID. Of course, it was difficult because they locked this. She's in an independent retirement community. So they locked it down. But, uh, you know, I've been able to see her a couple of times in the last three, four months. And I think the point is this. I've I've had my words with my mom. You know, I blame my mom. I was like, Mom, why didn't you just take the cake away from me when I was 10? You know, They had to lock up all the junk food in a cabinet with a lock. And what I would do is I would go and break the lock with a hammer when they were gone to get to the ding-dongs and Twinkies. That's how bad my fix was. Or I would steal money from my mom or dad's wallet and purse. And when they would go out for the day, I would call Domino's. When, this is when Domino's was brand new in the 80s. And I would just order three large pizzas and just binge eat all of it and then hide the cartons uh, behind the washing machine. Right, So I had a major addiction problem. But I would tell my mom, I was like, Mom, why didn't you just hide the cakes? Why did you buy the ding-dongs? And she's like, you know, mijito, I mean, you had brothers. Your brothers deserve to have the king- ding-dongs. And none of my brothers were fat. You, you, they deserve white. Why would they have to white? It's like, mom, you don't love me. I, I hate you. Blah, blah, you know, the typical childhood bullshit. But I've I've come to terms with my mom and we've talked about it. But look, I, I've talked about this now. how to connect it to MGTOW. So I live in a town where I have no family. Uh, my ex-wife got her residency in the town that I live in and that because of that when we were married. We moved here and then I had my children here and then I had my divorce here. (laughs) So at this point, it's like, okay, my mom is like, mijito, why don't you come back and move to Houston? And I'm like, mom, I and this is not casting aspersions on any man who's done this. But to me, I think it's important for men to live in the town where their kids are, when their kids are still minors. That way you still have some modicum of influence on them on the alternating weekends that you have them. I get it. Some of you had a woman who took the kid away after the divorce. My tea's getting cold. I need to drink it. After the divorce, they're like, I'm out, and they moved to New York or whatever, and you you couldn't move or you didn't want to move because your job or whatever it was. I get it. I understand. That happens quite often. I'm just not one of those guys who can leave the town where I'm living uh, until my kids are at least 18 because I need to be an influence on my kids. I feel like that's the least I can do. So I'm in this town for another 15 years, and I don't like this town. But I have friends, sure, but it's not the same thing as having a family. And I think, you know, I look at my other friends, male, and all of them live in the same town as their family, either their siblings or parents, aunts, uncles. They have that support. I don't have that support. I don't, I don't live in the town with my family. But I live, you know, three hours away, more or less, from from where my mom and my brother are. But I, I worry my mom's gonna die soon, and you know what? The, you know what they say. No matter how old you are, when both of your parents die, you feel like an orphan. And I'm just wondering how am I gonna feel when my mom dies? Because at least I still have the support of my mom. And yeah, my mom is eighty, and she's a curmudgeon and very negative and and so forth. But at least you know your mother is still around. Your your parents are around. You know, you take it for what it is when they're that old, right? You know, they get kind of kooky at that age. But at least you know your mother and your father are still there, and When she dies, which is going to be soon, let's be real. She's overweight and she's 81. It's going to be tough for me because I'm not going to leave the town I'm in. And so now I'll not have a parent. And, yeah, I'll have my brother over in Houston. But it's not the same. You know, it's just not the same. And it's tough. I've talked about, like, the MGTOW Achilles heel being... Your desire to want to have children because, therefore, you have to interact with women, and sometimes you have to interact with the court system either through marriage or, 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 you know, have a kid out of wedlock or get a surrogate or whatever. And the other Achilles heel of MGTOW is going to be just super simpy men in their 20s, and of course, super simpy men at any age who take on women and marry them with a lot of baggage. But the other Achilles heel is is not having friends and family in the town you're with, and especially I think the latter. Now, look, I know some of you. Maybe you don't have the best relationship with your family. Maybe you're estranged from them for a reason, right? Maybe they were abusive, or who knows what it is. But a large majority of men and women get along with their family, and it's important to have good relationships with them. We are societal creatures. We're social creatures. We need interaction, and family uh, is important. Think about back in our Paleolithic wiring. We we only really lived in communities of two to 300 people, and a lot of them were our kin, our family and our extended family. So to live in a city of 500,000, a million, three million people where you don't know barely anybody is isolating. It can be isolating. So MGTOW, man, this is what I'm telling you. Make sure. One of the biggest Achilles heel of MGTOW is not having friends. Yeah, you could sit around and eat Hot Pockets and play video games all day in your apartment. But A, that's not truly optimizing your MGTOW life. And B, you need social interaction in particular with family. So I would tell you, reconnect with your family if you're not connected And if you are connected, appreciate what you have. And understand that it can be an Achilles heel. And Confessions is meant to be be a a confessional channel. So I am being confessional on that. I don't know how hard it's going to be for me when my mom dies. I'm sure when she dies in the next year or two, I'll come back and listen to this episode. But I will be devastated. She is my mother. She's my last parent. And uh, at that point, it's going to be tough because... I get along with my baby mamas, but again, they're just my baby mamas now. And I have friends, but my friends have their own family. They have their own kids. You know, They have their own focus. So it can feel a little isolating uh, in that regard. So in that isolation, if you don't purge the relationship thirst, this idea that you're only happy with a woman in your life can make you susceptible to going back to the plantation, which is a humongous mistake. Humongous mistake. So what do we need to do? We need to buffet or safeguard ourselves from making that mistake. And the best way to do that is to purge your thirst and surround yourself with good friends, surround yourself with family, and preferably friends that are red pill, but just any friends that support you and love you and same for your family. And then work on yourself, purge your addictions and all these things that we talk about over at The Awakened Man. So, guys, if you want to comment on this episode, if you've dealt with a, a losing both your parents or you still have one parent or you haven't come to terms with your parents and you still have a lot of animosity, message me over at The Awakened Man, the Facebook group. Guys, website's Naturopathic Earth. Go check out all the articles that we have there. If you want to donate and help us out to defray the cost of the Internet and hosting this, please donate a couple of shekels at the PayPal link found in the episode notes. Also, go to Naturopathic Earth. I know it's hard to spell, so there's a link in the episode notes. And when you go to the homepage, you'll see my two books that you can buy on the right side. Now, click on those to buy them on Amazon, Paperback or Kindle. But that gets you to Amazon. And from there, any purchase you make within 24 hours through our link, we get a 2% commission. No no expense to you. They don't raise the price. We're just Amazon affiliates. So during this Christmas season, when you're buying stuff, please use the links. 2% is nothing when you make a $60 purchase, but still it's something. It's like $3. So go do do that. Go check out my books, Confessions of an Obese Child and Revelations of a Weight Loss Warrior. And please subscribe to this channel. Post an honest review if you get anything out of it. And also go check out The Awakened Man and The Female Holistic Health Apothecary. Go check out my two other channels and subscribe to them and post an honest review. Until next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. If you'd like to reach us, find us at our Facebook page, Naturopathic Earth Radio and Holistic Health News.